one constant through all the years, Ray. Beyond the game. The ladies are digging my sweet bass. That's the dumbest thing I could think of. Our formula is this. We go out, we hit people in the mouth. You like that? You like that? That is a career ender, just like this show. You're already famous in Rochester, the Watch Out World. It's a faith-based sports radio program. We would be honored if you would join us. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Beyond the Game program, coming to you from the BTG studio in Rochester, New York. Sports talk without the trash talk. I'm Rick Benson. With me, as always, is Zach Barletta. BTGprogram.com or at BTGprogram is where to find us. In sports, how many Bulldogs teams do you think there are? There, There's plenty of Bulldogs, it's right? Maybe like 100. Yeah, I don't have the answer to that question, but how many Knights do you think there might be? Plenty. Just like there's many Hawks, there's many Mustangs, Eagles, Panthers. I went to Rondout Valley High School in the Hudson Valley area of New York. Our mascot, I'm fairly certain, is not often used. We were the Ganders. That's right. We were a goose. Other teams were the Panthers, the Iron Dukes, the Blue Devils, the Indians, the Huguenots, all tough-sounding names. And well, I don't know about Huguenots. They don't sound too tough. We, we were the Ganders. It's better than the Ganders, but... Teams are often duplicated. You know, you got the New York Jets, you got the Winnipeg Jets, you got the New York Giants, you got the San Francisco Giants. You even for a while had the New York Giants baseball and football. The College of St. Rose in Albany, of which my daughter is a proud alum, and the United States Army's parachute team are taking issue with Las Vegas's usage of Golden Knights for Las Vegas's NHL team. Mm-hmm. Both have been granted extensions to file official opposition to the expansion's team's name. They believe, quote, it will be damaged. Army believes it will be damaged by the hockey team's usage of the trademark. What What am I missing? The Army uses the name in connection with its parachute team. Is there a confusion when I say that the Golden Knights scored three goals? Are you <laughs> thinking that the parachute team somehow scored you, three goals? Did you see the team's response? No. They issued a response in one of the quotes in their responses that they're not too worried about it because they said... We don't think anyone's ever showed up to our arena expecting to see a parachute team perform. Yeah, when I say the Golden Knights practice jump drills out of a plane, are you thinking about the hockey team? Of course not. St. Rose's claim actually makes more sense to me than Army's, but even still, a small school in Albany, New York, which doesn't even have a hockey team, it wouldn't seem that difficult to keep clear. You know, when the Rangers beat the Golden Knights, is anybody thinking that the New York Rangers played the College of St. Rose? Of course not. Who's even heard of St. Rose out of a select few? I have. My daughter went there. That's the only reason I've heard of them. Well, right. We got the hat behind me if you're watching on video. But when I say Golden Knights outskated the Detroit Red Wings, you're not thinking it was Army. You're not thinking it was the College of St. Rose. And for that matter, are they colorblind at Army? Are you going to be the Black Knights or the Golden Knights? I mean, we can keep Bulldogs, Mustangs, Tigers, and much more common names than Golden Knights straight. Why Why is this such a big deal? Anyway, we got a lot to do on today's show. It's been a few days. Much has been said about Monday's national championship game, yet we'll weigh in taking the conversation where I, I guarantee no other talk show went with it. How much do you love the maturity of the two Alabama quarterbacks we saw Monday night? 
Plus, the Buffalo Bills playoff run was short, but man, was it ever sweet for Bills fans to at least be included for the first time in a mm-hmm. long while. With Zach Berletta, I'm Rick Benson. This is the Beyond the Game program. Let me tell you about Town & Country Pest Solutions. They've been in business for nearly three very successful decades. They have the experience to tackle any pest problem. Covering Rochester, Syracuse, Buffalo, Albany, Watertown, any place that could pick up this radio station is somewhere Town & Country Pest Solutions takes on pests and critters of all kinds. Town & Country's technicians are friendly, professional, and most importantly, they're knowledgeable. Bees, wasps, roaches, ants, bats, mice, call Town & Country. Even raccoons or larger animals, call Town & Country. Have a bed bug problem or just want to check and make sure that you don't have a bed bug problem? Call Town & Country. Early detection is key when it comes to bed bugs, so if you suspect a potential problem, call Town & Country Pest Solutions today. Town & Country's success rate and their guarantee are both well above industry average. Call Town & Country Pest Solutions today, 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024 and let their team of professionals handle whatever pest problem you may have. Or visit them online, townandcountrysolutions.com. Town & Country Pest Solutions, fearing nothing but God. Hey, it's Zach. If you're a fan of unsolved mysteries, mythical monsters, murder whodunits, or just podcasts in general, check out my other show, The Myths and Mysteries Podcast. Every two weeks, my brother Spencer and I tell fascinating stories about topics like the Bermuda Triangle, JFK's assassination, chupacabras, serial killers, and more. You can find us by searching for Myths and Mysteries on iTunes or Google Play or on our website, mythsandmysteriespod.com. Don't forget to click subscribe and leave us a review to let us know what you think. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Myths Podcast. So go check out the Myths and Mysteries podcast, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening along with Zach Barletta. I'm Rick Benson, and this is the Beyond the Game program. As we sort of expected, the playoffs were too short-lived for the Buffalo Bills. Zach, you're a big Bills fan. or Were you content with just getting there, or were you thinking that this playoff run should have gone deeper? You know, I'm disappointed in the loss, but I'm still very pleased overall with how the season went. I think I had expected them to win five or six games. I think we had a debate before the season about whether the Browns might have a better year than the Bills. That obviously didn't go the way we thought it might go for the Browns. But, you know, winning nine games, going to the playoffs, finding out that some of our young players were pretty good. Um, it was a good season. I'm, I'm happy with it. I'm happy to break the drought. Uh, but it's a little bittersweet because the, that game against the Jaguars was there to be won and they just couldn't quite get it done. Yeah, absolutely. It was there. I, I was disappointed in the play of Tyrod Taylor mm-hmm. at the beginning of the season. As you said, we debated it. I thought the Bills could sneak into the playoffs. But the Look play, at you. Well, yeah, I'm pretty much a genius. But the play <laughs> of Tyrod Taylor, he's just not an upper echelon NFL quarterback. Mm-hmm. He's a nice player for sure, no doubt about it. But if you're expecting to chase a Super Bowl title, you can't have a quarterback who misses open receivers Mm -hmm. as much as Tyrod does. But what was out of his control was the play calling, which 
uh, was just absurd, in my opinion, yeah. especially at the end of the first half. You've got an average quarterback in Tyrod Taylor. If you want to make the case that he's slightly above average, fine, I'll play along. But you got a well above average running back in LaShawn McCoy. Mm-hmm. Run the stinking football, especially from a yard, a yard and a half out. I didn't understand what they were doing there. Yeah, I it, it was maddening. And I, during the game, I sort of chalked it up to McCoy is probably not 100% healthy. They're getting him a breather, but they have this weird fascination with Mike Tolbert. The plays just don't work, but they keep going to them over and over again. It's very frustrating. In the wake of the loss, I was getting a little tired with Bills fans blaming the referees for it. Now, look, I get that the Bills play the Patriots twice a year, every year, and the Patriots have that perceived favoritism, and the Bills haven't been in the playoffs in 17 years. The frustration level is high. The emotion that Bills fans attach to every game obviously is high. For Bills fans, in my opinion, their perspective on each play is skewed because of that emotion. Mm-hmm. And look, we'd all admit that the officiating has been questionable at times, but I don't buy the Patriots' favoritism thing, nor do I buy the Bills' targeting thing. I compare it oftentimes to a pitcher. If a pitcher has a reputation for being mm-hmm. in the strike zone, he's going to get those close calls. The Patriots are in the playoffs every year. If it's a close play, they're going to get the benefit of the doubt. The touchdown that Jacksonville scored was never a question of my mind. The interception at the end of the game, I think you can make a little bit of a case here. But I think if they had called it the other way on the field, they wouldn't have re- overturned it either way because it was that close. And I know Bills fans, as I say, they attach a lot of emotion to it because of how long it's been that they haven't been in the playoffs. But here's the thing. When you score three points, you can't really blame the referees. And that was what I was saying after the game is that what we're all going to remember is that we sort of got a rough deal on that that interception call at the end, and the call was wrong. I 100% believe they got the call wrong. But at the same time, you know, like you were talking about Tyrod Taylor, he missed three open receivers for touchdowns through the course of that game. And against a defense that tough, when you get an opportunity like that, you have got to connect on it. And, you know, they lost 10-3. to They could easily have won the game by two scores if he makes those throws. So, yeah, it stinks to lose the way that they lost on that controversial call, but... The game was there, like I said, and the Bills just didn't do enough to get it done. Yeah, and I think that's a bigger thing. They didn't lose the game on a controversial call. The game may have ended on a controversial call, but they didn't lose it on that call. But enough about the game. The Bills can be proud of making the playoffs, and I think there's plenty more playoff appearances in the future for the Buffalo Bills. Mm -hmm. I like where they are. I like where they're headed. On Monday, head coach Sean McDermott, general manager Brandon Bean held – held a press conference. It's like a mini stroke happening right there. <laughs> I was getting a little worried about you over there. <laughs> held a press conference to sort of review the recently concluded season. The general consensus I took away was overall, they felt the Bills were on schedule. And I think they were very tactful in saying they are not satisfied with things on offense. But both men made it a point to tip their cap to the passion of the fan base, which I thought was pretty incredible. I was surprised at how many people were heading to Jacksonville for this game. And let's this is a thousand miles away. It's not a three hour trip like yeah. to Pittsburgh or Cleveland, three or four hours. This is a fifteen, sixteen hour car drive or a plane ticket. But some estimated that there were twenty thousand Bills fans there. 
I find yeah. that a little hard to believe. I don't think that the stadium was one quarter Bills fans. I don't know what the stadium holds. I'm assuming somewhere around eighty thousand people. I actually, but. it it's pretty close. I actually do believe it. Um, my brother was there. He made the drive down from Virginia, and he was texting me pictures. There was a lot of blue and red in that. I would stadium. agree. There was a lot of Bills fans. I I don't know that there was twenty thousand, but the passion of the Bills fans was very impressive. And Bills fans, no doubt, represented in Jacksonville, and it was pretty cool to see on many news stations, the invasion of the Bills on the Jacksonville area. And one of the Buffalo wing houses set up shop somewhere down there to mm-hmm. cater to the Bills mafia. That was cool. And I'm not sure what the rest of the nation thought about the Bills and that whole breaking tables thing. What What is with that whole thing? Even as a Bills fan, I'm not sure where that came from. But I don't know if you saw the city of Jacksonville starting on the Wednesday before the game banned the sale of folding tables to people with out-of-state driver's licenses <laughs> in anticipation I, of Bill's fans I don't know up. what I would think. If some out-of-towner comes into my hardware store or into a hardware store in my town to buy a table with the sole purpose of jumping on it and breaking it, oftentimes lighting it on fire yeah. first, I, that just seems a little screwy to me, but... As it cool as it was to see nationwide reports on the passion and support of Bills fans, there was also some negative reports, and ultimately that will taint their reputation. Of course, mm. you're always going to have a few. In nearly every crowd, yeah. you're always going to have somebody that spoils it for the rest. But according to a report from a Jacksonville TV station, some Bills fans had lit a fire, which had to be responded to by the Jacksonville Fire Department there at Everbank Field. and. That fire included uh, left-behind beer cans, some of those broken tables, other mm-hmm. trash. And seems a shame that that story got as much attention as did others of Bills fans following their team. But I was glad that both McDermott and Bean acknowledged the fan base. And look, 17 years is a long time, and I love the passion of the Bills. Uh, they brought so much of their own culture to Jacksonville with them. There were the chicken wings. There were the tables. There was the plenty of those Zubaz pants. And where do you people still get those things? <laughs> I, you know they look awful, right? Oh, I, but people yeah. are still showing up They're in terrible. Zubaz. And yeah. I think you have to special order them online, but a lot of people do. Bill's fans were plentiful around Jacksonville last weekend. They stood out. There were the circle of the wagons jersey mm-hmm. and a tip of the cap to Chris Berman's. You know, nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. And I saw even an Andy Dalton, number 14, Buffalo yes. Bills jersey. But you could identify Bill's fans. You know, they, they traveled mm-hmm. so well. Here's the thing. When you travel as a road team, you bring your culture with you. You brought the tables. You brought the wings. You brought the stupid Zubaz pants. You don't conform. <laughs> to the home team. Absolutely. When a person becomes a follower in Jesus Christ, they too should be identifiable. They too should be just as committed and just as faithful, regardless of the circumstances. Romans 13, verse 14 says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. It won't always be easy to do, But considering that Jesus bore the price of your sins on the cross and is willing to forgive you of all your sins, it only seems reasonable to remain faithful. Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. As followers of Christ, we are set apart from the rest of the world. That's not to mean we're better or that we should be segregated 
but we should be different. Christians should be identifiable. They're not better, but they are forgiven. Christians are not part of the cultures of of this world. They just live here. The fact is, because of life gained as a result of salvation, this earthly world we live in is only temporary. A Christian's permanent home is in heaven with God for all of eternity. This life is actually very brief when you think in terms of eternity. Briefer even than a weekend out of town cheering on your team while they're on the road. Fans of the visiting team aren't taking part in the home team's traditional chants or songs. They aren't wearing the home team's colors. And just like those visiting fans, Christians should be committed to the team which they represent. We don't take part in sinful things that the world offers, or we ought not to. Instead, declaring praises to God, and by doing that, we point people to the light that is Jesus Christ. First Peter 2 nine says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. It may invite some criticism to do that, but we need to remain strong. We need to show our commitment to Jesus and our love for him. With a devoted love for God, our lives will very much look different from those around us. First Peter 2.11 says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. Don't be surprised when people laugh at you for being different, Christian. When they pick on customs which seem normal to you but are unfamiliar to them, remember, while you're a stranger in their world, they're blind to the things of God. They don't know them. They don't understand them. And there are times when people are antagonistic toward things they they don't understand. John 15, verses 18 and 19, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world because of this, the world hates you. It may feel lonely at time when we're one of the few or maybe the only one cheering for your team. But remember that Jesus Christ himself has prayed for you. John chapter 17, verses 15 through 18. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. This is Jesus talking to God the Father. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into this world, I also have sent them into this world. I want to encourage you to walk into the opponent's arena with boldness. Go with the confidence that God's strength provides, knowing that Jesus Christ himself has prayed for you. Your loyalty and commitment may be the thing that opens the eyes of someone who does not know what this Jesus thing is all about. Perhaps they'll ask you about your faith and why it's so important to you that you stay so dedicated. And if you don't know Jesus and wonder why Christians are so into their faith, so into the Bible, it's because Christ gave everything he had for us. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And while it may seem strange, there is no other way for a person to look forward to heaven, to being their permanent home in eternity, apart from Jesus Christ. Acts 4.12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Jesus came to earth and lived a life without sin, 
but then gave up that life on the cross to pay for the sins of all mankind. And he calls everyone to repentance. He offers redemption to those who will accept him. We're all sinners in need of God's forgiveness, and that forgiveness is available because of his grace. Ephesians chapter 2, 8, and 9 says, For by grace ye are saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. If you want to spend eternity in heaven as opposed to hell, it's, it's really it's as simple as calling out to him, admitting your guilt, asking God to forgive you. If you want to spend eternity in heaven, just reach out to God. 1 John 1, nine says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus died on the cross for you. He was buried. Then he rose again three days later, proving he has power over death. Do you believe that? Will you accept the gift that he offers and ask God to forgive you of your sins? It comes down to what you believe. John 3.36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Talk to God. Tell him you know that you're a sinner. Tell him you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. And start a new life, repenting from sin. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, this is the heart of the gospel right here, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. If you want to know more about what it means to be a Christian, you can visit our website, btgprogram.com. Follow the tab, Know Jesus, K-N-O-W, Jesus. And if you'd like prayer, send us a note through that same website, btgprogram.com. All our contact information is there. We'd be glad to pray for you. I'm so glad you've allowed us to be part of your day. I'm Rick Benson. This is the Beyond the Game Program. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe. Here is the Red Hawks recap for this week, covering up through January 11th. The Red Hawks recap is being brought to you by Roberts Wesleyan College. The Roberts Wesleyan women's basketball team improved to 4-1 in the ECC and 10-5 overall with a 97-91 triple overtime victory last Saturday over Damon College. Sophomore Taya Andrews hit the winning basket in the third overtime and finished with a career-high 29 points. Fellow sophomore Emily Miller posted her eighth double-double of the season with 19 points and 11 rebounds, and senior Nikita James added 20 points and now stands just three points shy of the 1,000 career point mark. She had a chance to hit that mark at home on Friday, but this program was recorded prior to that, so we'll have more on her chase for 1,000 during next week's show. The men also hosted Damon. However, they fell 98-73. Junior Peyton McLaurin led the Red Hawks with 16 points on 7 of 9 shooting. The Red Hawks men are now 9-5 overall and 2-3 and in the ECC. Both teams will play host to LIU Post this Sunday, January 14th at the Baller Athletic Center at Roberts. The women tip off at 2 p.m. and the men at 4. A lot more Red Hawks action coming up next week as the other winter sports return to action. However, it's all on the road. For the full schedule of games, visit their website, robertsredhawks.com. There you can also get scores, highlights, and more. Or follow Roberts Wesleyan Athletics on Twitter at RWC Redhawks. This has been the Red Hawks Recap presented by Roberts Wesleyan College. 
Do you know a high school athlete looking for a D2 college? Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts Wesleyan College. We're proud to be a serious athletic school with great opportunities for serious athletes. In fact, we have the only Division II athletic program in the area. Our many varsity programs range from basketball, tennis, and cross country to track and field, golf, volleyball, and soccer. Tell the young athlete in your life about Roberts. Visit roberts.edu. Well, my hand is shaking and my knees are weak. I can't seem to stand on my own feet. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rick Benson. This is the Beyond the Game program, btgprogram.com or at btgprogram. Beyond the Game is recorded in the BTG studio in Rochester, New York, but we're proud to say that the podcast is heard all over this great nation and even in places around the world. Recent broadcasts have been downloaded in England, Ireland, and South Africa. This week's place of honor, though, recently downloading the program is Boston Spa, New York, outside Saratoga. Abner Doubleday, the traditionally credited inventor of baseball, was born in Boston Spa. And did you know there was a sequel to Tom Hanks' 1984 hit movie, Splash? Because I didn't. I didn't even know Splash was a thing, so. Uh, I, I forget how young and stupid you really are. <laughs> but that that was a terrific movie with Tom Hanks and John Candy. But I had no idea there was a sequel to it. Tom Hanks wasn't in it. But who was in it was Todd Waring, who was from Boston Spa. He played the lead character role, vacated by Hanks. Boston Spa, New York, was once a... Huge paper milling community is said to be where the square-bottomed paper bags originated. Okay. And check out this Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid connection to Boston Spa, New York. The village was the model for the fictional village of North Bath, New, North Bath, New York, which was the setting for the novel and eventual follow-up movie, Nobody's Fool, which starred Paul Newman, who, of course, was... Butch Cassidy. Ah. But Boston Spa was also used as a location for a number of scenes in both 1973's The Way We Were and 1998's The Horse Whisperer, both starring Robert Redford, who, of course, was Sundance Kid. Oh. So now we've come full circle. Six degrees of Boston Spa there. Thanks for listening in beautiful Boston Spa, New York, and wherever it is you may be listening from today. We're Glad to have you along. To get the podcast, visit our website, btgprogram.com, or you can find us on iTunes or whatever your favorite podcast source. Click subscribe and take a moment to leave us a review. But before I turn this over to Zach, I want to tell you that in my hands, we just got in a shipment this week of Jason Romano's new book, Live to Forgive. Jason, of course, has been on the show a couple of times, Mm -hmm. was with ESPN. Now he hosts the Sports Spectrum podcast and this book comes out on Monday, but we have it in our hands now. If you would like a copy, I have a limited supply. If you would like a copy, tweet at us at BTG Program. Tell me you'd like a copy, and it would be my pleasure to send you one as our gift to you. Say something nice about us. Don't go ripping the show and then tell me you want a copy of the book because it ain't going to happen. But you say something nice, tell me you want a copy, and we'll be glad to send you. We have a limited supply, so... I don't know how many tweets we can expect, but I'm hoping uh, it'd be my pleasure to give you one. Zach, time for some shenanigans statements, so take it away, my friend. All right. First of all, let's get to the story that's dominated headlines this week. Truth or shenanigans? There is no truth to the rumor of friction between Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, and Robert Kraft. Uh, Shenanigans. 
I, I think there is some truth and, and some level of friction or at least some disagreement among the group. However, I, I don't think it's the beginning of the end, as some have speculated. Um, I, I tell you, if anything's the beginning of the end, it's the fact that Tom Brady is a 40-some-year-old quarterback. Mm-hmm. Eventually, you would think he has to play like that, but I haven't seen it yet. Um, I think anyone who works together, works together as long as these men have, are going to have friction from time to time. The problem is for the rest of the NFL is that the Patriots are able to use that stuff as motivation the way mm-hmm. they did with Deflategate. Yeah. So, um, no, I, I think there's something to it, but I don't think the Patriots will let this defeat them. I agree with you, which I guess means I say shenanigans to the question is, Usually where there's smoke, there's fire, right? And the guy that wrote the article that started all of this supposedly interviewed 12 different people who are close to the situation that gave him some information. And I'm, I'm sure that there is something in there. Um, Bill Belichick did ban Tom Brady's trainer from the sidelines recently. And I'm sure that, you know, Tom wasn't a big fan of that. But they're professionals. They've been together long enough to know how to make this all work. So while I think there is some truth to the rumors, I don't. Like you, I don't think it's the fall of the dynasty. The Buffalo Bills will have a new quarterback and or offensive coordinator for the 2018 season. You're the biggest Bills fan I know. What's your thoughts? Uh, I say yes to the quarterback and probably, hopefully, yes to the offensive coordinator as well. Um, I agree. I think that um, the offense, even just to fans like you and me that watched over the course of the season, noticeably struggled. Um They were held without a touchdown in multiple games, including their playoff appearance this past week. Um, In the year-end press conference, Sean McDermott said that they were not happy uh, with the offense. He was asked about Tyrod Taylor, and specifically he said, we weren't happy with the whole offense. So you would think that the guy who's responsible for that offense would be on the hot seat. And as a Bills fan, I hope to see Rick Dennison fired and um, some of the better names on the market brought in. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I agree with the statement, and I certainly hope so. Tyrod Taylor is a nice player, but he's just not an elite quarterback, mm-hmm. and I've never been completely sold on him. He's probably a fine human being. I you know, I have nothing against him. I just mm-hmm. don't think he's the quarterback that's going to lead the Bills to the promised land, and someone needs to shoulder the blame for the questionable play calling against Jacksonville, and at times that same play calling showed up throughout the season, uh, and that's the offensive coordinator. Somebody needs to be held responsible. So, yeah, I I agree that they will have a new QB and a new OC, and I I think they should. The New York Yankees still have not added a veteran infielder to replace Chase Headley at third base or Starlin Castro at second base, both of whom were traded this offseason. Truth or shenanigans, the Yankees are really going to start rookies Glaber Torres and Miguel Andujar at second and third to start the season. I'll answer this one since I'm the biggest Yankees fan I know, and I don't mean that just in size. Um, (laughs) I agree. I I think they're still looking and waiting, though. Um, I think they're content to open spring training with those guys, but if they they show in spring training that they're not ready, the Yankees will make a trade or perhaps a veteran signing. There's no need to rush. There's no need to Mm -hmm. overpay somebody. So I like their pan. I, I, I think they'll be patient. And I think they'll wait and see what happens. I agree as well. I think they would like those two guys to win the jobs because they are the top prospects in the organization at those positions. But I think it's important to remember they also have depth in the organization. You have Tyler Wade, 
who struggled in his first call-up last summer, but has pretty much nothing left to prove at the AAA level, can play all over the infield. And Ronald Torres, you remember after the first week of the season last year, led the team in RBIs, was pressed into a lot more starting duty last season than he would have liked. And you hit, said duty. <laughs> and hit, what, like 280? <laughs> you know, Ronald Torres proved that for a short term, uh, he can be a capable starter. So you have depth behind those two guys. I don't think there's a reason to go out and bring in a big-name player. At the time of this recording, the surprising Vegas Golden Knights lead the entire Western Conference in points and trail only the Tampa Bay Lightning for most points in the entire NHL. Truth or shenanigans, the Golden Knights will unexpectedly be buyers at the upcoming NHL trade deadline. I agree. I I think they will. And why wouldn't they? It doesn't matter if you're an expansion team or if you're one of the original six. If you find yourself in position to potentially do something special, and, and in this case, historical, then you have to make the most of that opportunity. You're you're not in that position every year. But if they fall off, and this is an older roster, so there is that possibility, mm-hmm. if they fall off, then they have to consider that roster and make moves to set them up for the future. But as it stands, if, if they're still there, playing the way they are, I agree. Why wouldn't you trade? I agree as well. Um, you know, it's going to be fascinating to see what they do because this is a team – that added a bunch of players in the expansion draft with an eye on trading them. You know, guys like especially James Neal. You know, he was an expensive guy that they picked uh, when he was left available. And he's been good for them. And But here they are in this uh, leading the conference. Um, can you trade a guy that you planned on trading to dump his salary like James Neal when you're in that position? So I think that they add, I don't know if it'll be big pieces, but it's just going to be really interesting to see how they handle this, their unexpected uh, winning streak. Last but not least, after Sweden came in second place in hockey's World Junior Championships, team captain Leas Anderson, the number seven overall pick this past year by the New York Rangers, tossed his silver medal to a fan in the crowd out of frustration over losing the title game. Truth or shenanigans, tossing his medal into the stands was stupid and inappropriate. I agree, but... Look, that's just my thoughts anyway. It's the World Juniors. And while I may think that's pretty cool, maybe he doesn't. It's not the Olympics to him, you know. I, I don't know what is he's thinking. Certainly that fan had to be thrilled. and Right. You know, I'm not saying this is Cassius Clay throwing his Olympic medal into the Ohio River, if indeed he actually did that. But we tend to do foolish things when we're angry or frustrated. And uh, James one nineteen says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be with swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. And that's a good consideration before speaking, before acting, before hitting that send button on the email you just wrote or tossing your silver medal to a fan in the crowd. But again, that's my opinion. Maybe he's got higher, more lofty goals. Uh, honestly, I say shenanigans. I, As a Ranger fan, I don't have a problem with it. Uh, I've seen some other Ranger fans on Twitter and, and stuff like that saying, oh, I can't believe we wasted a pick on this guy. We should trade him. He doesn't respect the game, blah, blah, blah. It's an 18-year-old kid who just lost a championship game. You know, I, I, I'm kind of glad he's upset. I would like him to want to win the game. And, and you know, he's going to learn that there are better ways to handle it than that. But he's 18. He wants to win. I'm fine with it. There you go. That's shenanigans for this week's show. I'm Benson. He's Barletta. You're listening to the Beyond the Game program.
Hey, it's Zach. If you're a fan of Unsolved Mysteries, Mythical Monsters, Murder Whodunits, or just podcasts in general, check out my other show, The Myths and Mysteries Podcast. Every two weeks, my brother Spencer and I tell fascinating stories about topics like the Bermuda Triangle, JFK's assassination, chupacabras, serial killers, and more. You can find us by searching for Myths and Mysteries on iTunes or Google Play or on our website, mythsandmysteriespod.com. Don't forget to click subscribe and leave us a review to let us know what you think. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Myths Podcast. So go check out the Myths and Mysteries podcast, and we'll see you next time. Is here, Ram Sports Network, Christian Sports Television. That's right, Christian Sports Television. Ram Sports Network is the first Christian sports TV channel with programming from Pee to the pros. Games, events, sports talk, fitness and nutrition, sports missions, western sports, and sports ministry. We're spreading the gospel through sports. Watch us now at ramsportsnetwork.com or find us on the Roku Channel Store. Ram Sports Network, more than a game. Benton and Barletta taking you through the hour here on the Beyond the Game program. Mixing sports with faith. It's been a number of days now since Alabama incredibly won its fifth national championship in nine seasons. And what a game that turned out to be. Although, I'll be honest with you, Zach, I fell asleep early in the second half (laughs) right after Alabama scored that touchdown. And I missed all the overtime excitement. I don't know why they play these games so late. I don't know why they have to put so many in commercials. Obviously, I do. It's money. But nothing good happens after 10 o'clock. <laughs> and I was asleep by 10, 10. That's when I go to bed. I go, you know, that's when I fall asleep. But I suppose Alabama fans would argue that great things happened after 10 o'clock. And it was. It was an exciting football game. But, but Nick Saban now, he has to be considered one of the greatest coaches in the history of college football, right? Of course, that's one of those debates it's never going to have a true conclusion but you you definitely can't discount his place in that conversation five national championships in the last nine years at Alabama he's got another one at LSU I heard a former assistant of his say this week that his game management skills the X's and O's really are not that much different from any other coach he's not that much better but what separates him is his ability to go into a living room of a recruit and go into living rooms in what is traditionally other programs' areas and recruit top guys to come to Alabama. While that may be true that perhaps it's his recruiting skills and not his game management skills that separate him, I'll tell you, I don't know too many coaches who would have pulled their starting quarterback at halftime of the national championship game to put in a true freshman. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was not only terrific game management, but I'll tell you, that's the kind of decision that took guts because people would have talked about that throughout the entire offseason had that backfired. Regardless of how many championships he won, people still be talking about it. Mm-hmm. And much has already been said about the play of true freshman Tua Tagovailoa. Obviously, in Christian circles, Facebook and Twitter blew up after his postgame comments, recrediting his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And based on the posts of some people that I saw, you would have thought that this was on par with the return of Christ himself, or that he was able to walk on water. Don't misunderstand me. It was pretty terrific to see the humility, the boldness of this young man. But isn't that what believers are called to do? Isn't that what we're supposed to do, to declare 
Jesus at every opportunity. Mm-hmm. What what separates it, what makes it so unusual is because many Christians don't do that as we're as we should be doing. He had a national television audience. He took advantage of a tremendous platform, platform which most of us don't have and which God provided to him. And we should be challenged to take advantage of our platforms in the very same way. Obviously, most of the time, in most situations, it's not going to be on the same scale. But on a smaller scale, the conversation you have at the at your work or, or at the gym are no less significant. Mm-hmm. Equally as impressive to me was the response to being pulled by Jalen Hurts. Technically, Hurts is credited with the win. He's now 26-2 and two his career, but sometimes it's just not your night. And this this just wasn't his night. He had completed just three of eight passes. I think he had something like 21, 22 yards before being pulled. And he put his pride aside. And remember, this is last season's SEC Offensive Player of the Year, and he was the first one to greet Tagovailoa when he came off the field after each series. He was optimistic. He was upbeat. And his postgame remarks and encouragement and support of both Tagovailoa and Saban should not go unnoticed. Not only that, but the joy and the happiness that he had not just for himself, but for his team was, well, was abundantly evident. Here's his quote. He says, we came out slow. And he made the change. It's probably what was best for the team. We won. We're national champs. You can't wish for anything more than that. And he said of Tagovailoa, he was ready for this. He's built for stuff like this. And that's that's a mature young man. Of course, the inevitable questions will come over the once the excitement of the national championship dies down a little bit. What happens next? Who's going to be the starting quarterback next year for the Crimson Tide? And if indeed it is Tagovailoa, does Hurts stay at Alabama or will he transfer elsewhere? You'll hear all these questions very soon if you haven't already. Of course, this will all play out next spring. And I'm not expecting Hurts to just concede the starting job away. Of course not. But everything that has said about him being the consummate team player on Monday night is is well-deserved, but he's going to compete for that job. And if if indeed, though, Tagovailoa wins us the full-time job heading into next season, Hertz will have even more opportunity to display that team player character, both uh, as how he handles the backup role and should he eventually decide to transfer out of Alabama, how he goes about doing that. Hertz will certainly work this offseason. He'll plan on improving and and coming back with every intention of being the starting quarterback. It it would seem obvious that even if it if it does turn out that he wins that job after Monday, Tagovailoa is certainly going to be in the plans. There's going to be some variation of a two quarterback system, you would think. And the problem now for Hertz and and, and even for Saban is that if if Hertz is it gets a starting job and then he has a bad game or even a bad half. Alabama fans are going to be calling for Tagovailoa. Hertz may find himself thrust into a tough spot, and uh, he'll certainly be in the spotlight as the quarterback competition unfolds. But uh, and certainly that was the case Monday night, and he excelled in that spotlight. He said and did everything the right way and, and in a classy way. It's how you would want your kids to act. He said in every everything the right way to have success in a system which features multiple talented players like this, those players need to be unified and they need to play as a team, work as a team. And that's what we saw 
like Hertz, it takes players who realize that the team is not successful until what matters to those players is not their own performance or their own success, but that of the teams. The role of the church, in much of the same way, requires the cooperation of all its members of the body of Christ. It's been said that teamwork is what enables common men to do uncommon things. Having been involved in the church for something like 40 years since I got saved, volunteering for this, that, or the other thing, I've noticed that brains and talent are not generally all that accessible in the church. They're in short (laughs) supply. And I don't say that to be funny or mean, though I suppose it's a little of both. And of course, there are some truly talented people, but it's the ability of God to take something rather unremarkable, something rather ordinary, and then do amazing things through it. By cooperating with each other and maximizing one another's strengths, ordinary people do things better than they seem capable of. 1 Corinthians one twenty five says, Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. It glorifies God to use such ordinary people to do amazing things. One of the problems, I think, my opinion, in the church today is a failure to function as a team. Because oftentimes people forget that verse and they think it's, it's because of them that good things are happening and good things are getting done. They forget God's role in the whole thing, and they, or, or at least they start minimizing it in order to glorify their own deeds or their own abilities and, you know, look at me or what I'm able to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 continues, uh, verses 26 and 27 says, For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. Another side effect of that same problem is that those who are truly gifted, they try to do all the work. They start thinking that they're the only ones who can, and they don't let others get involved. And sometimes those people end up going somewhere else, uh, someplace where they can be used. And the church as a whole suffers as a result. Remember, It's God who gave you your abilities. God gave you gifts which are to be used for his glory. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. He gave you those talents to be utilized as part of a team. He will lead you to where those talents fit perfectly among others who need exactly what it is that you have. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11 says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Christ Jesus, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It's amazing to me that God is pleased to use us as part of his team. He doesn't need us. He's God. He, he, but yet he chooses to use us. And even more remarkably, he then chooses to bless us because we were used, because we were obedient. It makes sense to think that Jesus, God as a man, 
would have just done everything himself, right? After all, nobody would be able to do it better than him. He was able to calm storms. He healed the sick. He made the blind see. He made the lame walk. But he chose to work with regular people like me and you. To grow in faith, we must step out. We must trust him to work through us as we strive to carry out God's will. Therefore, we must learn to become team players, whether we be leaders or whether we be followers. Like Jalen Hurts, whether we be the quarterback on the field or the quarterback on the sideline holding a clipboard. A team player fulfills his role in cooperation with the other members of the team. They're not a one-person show. They combine their skills and abilities with those of the rest of the team, and they seek to use their own abilities and gifts in a cooperative way. Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 and 10 says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Our abilities complement each other. What one doesn't have, the other does. And additionally, we, we sharpen and we encourage one another. Our perspectives are often clarified. Our focuses are narrowed and our strength and our courage is increased as a result. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. And a cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. Strong leaders are able to identify the abilities and also the, the limitation of others. They then combine team members where they best fit in order to do a job well. Nick Saban is a strong leader at Alabama, and he's been doing the job well for many years. He sees where those pieces fit. But God is an even better leader, and he's equipped his church to do the job well. He's assembled a team that can do wondrous things if only the players would trust the game plan. Let me ask you something. Are, are you one of those two types of people I mentioned? Are you someone who doesn't let others try, doesn't let others learn or do? Are you trying to do it all yourself? Let me ask you this. If you are, do you actually kind of like it that way? Deep down, do you like getting the attention and the glory? But remember this, that the glory rightfully belongs to God. And in a sense, you're stealing from him. Or maybe you're someone who God has given gifts, but you're not using them. You have talents, but you're letting them sit idle. For whatever reason, you're not part of the team. Maybe it's a lack of confidence. Maybe it's a lack of trust, a, a laziness. I don't know what it is. But to be an active player on God's team means recognizing that God has gifted each of us and called us to be a part of his ministry. If you would say, that you are saved, that you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you have a role to play. You have a gift and a talent to be used as part of his ministry. It also means being responsible for our part in the game plan, following through on the things we believe God is telling us to do according to our God-given abilities, our, our training, our calling, and of, and, of course, as he leads in our lives. But it also means we know how to manage our time so that, not only are we able to do the job, but we're able to do that job well. We're not overstretching ourselves. I like the example we saw in Jalen Hurts on Monday night. He played when asked, and he cheered on others when he wasn't. He was prepared both as a starter and as a backup 
and he was ready to be called on again if necessary. He trusted his coach, he trusted his teammates, and then had the opportunity to celebrate a national championship victory together with them. Let me encourage you to apply that example to your circumstances, wherever you are, whatever they may be. There's much that God would have us to see, have us to do, if only we just look. Even in sports, the lessons go beyond the game. Do you know a high school athlete looking for a D2 college? Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts Wesleyan College. We're proud to be a serious athletic school with great opportunities for serious athletes. In fact, we have the only Division II athletic program in the area. Our many varsity programs range from basketball, tennis, and cross country to track and field, golf, volleyball, and soccer. Tell the young athlete in your life about Roberts. Visit roberts.edu. You're listening to Beyond the Game, talking sports from a different point of view. Beyond the Game is listener-supported. You can help by making a one-time gift or perhaps even committing to a monthly pledge amount. And if you own a business, consider advertising during the Beyond the Game program and promote your business to large audiences of both sports fans and people of faith. Please join us as we seek to encourage, equip, and evangelize through Sports Talk Radio. Visit our website at btgprogram.com for more information or make a donation via PayPal Secure Servers. Beyond the Game thanks you for both your financial and prayerful support. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not depart from it. You're by now well-versed in the Cincinnati Bengals' role in eliminating the Baltimore Ravens from the NFL playoffs. The Buffalo Bills then grabbed that final playoff spot. The Bills then arranged to ship 1,440 Buffalo-style chicken wings along with 90 pounds of celery, 30 pounds of carrots, 6 gallons of blue cheese, and 9 gallons of Duff's famous wing sauce as a thank you to the Bengals. But what I like this week is what the Bengals then did with that gift. The team took the wings to the children's home of Cincinnati where safety Georgia Loca helped to serve the food and gave away some Bengals gear to students at the center's high school for students with autism. The Cincinnati Bengals are doing their part in training a child to love Buffalo-style chicken wings. And it's their regifting that I like this week. And I actually have one more. Proverbs 25.14 says, Like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of a gift he does not give. The New York Knicks' Enos Kenter kept his promise to support a grade school class presidential candidate. Ten-year-old Isan Yumak, like Kenter is Turkish, met the Knicks player at a basketball camp last summer and he impressed Cantor with his enthusiasm and ambition. Cantor even promised to visit the boys' school in Queens if, indeed, he won the election. His classmates, of course, were impressed with the celebrity endorsement, and young Isan won the election. True to his word, despite getting off a plane at 2 a.m. after a game in Dallas, Cantor kept his promise and visited the young man's school this past Monday. Cantor said for a little Turkish kid trying to be president at a school here in America— is important. It shows confidence. I wanted to come here and support him and these kids and see the smiles on their faces. It's priceless. Raised in Switzerland by Turkish parents, Cantor has been a harsh critic of the Turkish president, for which Turkey has stripped him of his citizenship and issued a warrant for his arrest. Enos Cantor honoring his word and supporting young school kids is also what I like this week. You like that? You like that? 
The Oakland A's hired a new scouting coordinator, which is noteworthy for a couple of reasons. Their new scouting coordinator is only 24 years old, and she's the first woman in MLB history to be hired as a talent evaluator. Haley Alvarez interned with the A's, who were so impressed that they sponsored her for scout school and finally hired her as their scouting coordinator. The Oakland A's making history by hiring 24-year-old Haley Alvarez is what I liked this week. You like that? You like that? You didn't see that movie yet that I told you about, Trouble with the Curve? No, I haven't, and I remember when it came out, but I just thought it looked really cheesy and like maybe the baseball scenes would be bad, so I just never saw it. It, It's... I don't know if it's really cheesy, but there is a cheese degree to it. Sure. But it's got Clint Eastwood, Amy Adams, and I like both of those people. It's got Justin Timberlake, who's just entertaining. Whether you like him or not, the Uh guy is entertaining. He is. And it's a pretty good movie. I'm a sucker for baseball movies. Mm -hmm. But you still haven't seen Mystery Alaska either. That's true. The New York Rangers playing pond hockey in Alaska. And all these movies that I tell you that I know you would enjoy, I bring up the Trouble with the Curve movie because – well, that's essentially what happens there in that movie, and oh. you know, so I so guess they could it, have just hired Amy Adams then. I guess they probably could. Have. <laughs> <laughs> want to thank you for listening to this week's Beyond the Game program. If you want to know more about the show, you can visit our website btgprogram.com. There, you'll find more information about the program. You can listen to past broadcast and detailed information is also there on what it is to be a believer in Jesus Christ and how you can know Him as your Savior. And you can also make a donation to this radio ministry there at the website. This program is mainly listener-supported, so we need the support of listeners like you to be able to do what we do, which is bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to listeners all around the world through Sports Talk Radio. Not too many faith-based sports talk shows on the air. I hope you'll consider partnering with us and becoming a financial supporter of this radio ministry. And don't forget to check out the Myth and Mysteries podcast, Our producer, Zach Barletta, and along with his brother, Spencer, they put in a ton of work to share with you some, really, some very interesting stories. Give them a listen, Myth and Mysteries. It's available on iTunes and Google Play, or visit their website, mythandmysteriespod.com. For Zach Barletta, I'm Rick Benson. Lord willing, we'll be back together again next week right here at the same time. Be bold, and be great this week, everybody. (laughs) 